Stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, we welcome Dr. Joseph Cardillo, top-selling author in the fields of health, mind, body, spirit, and psychology, and an expert in attention trading, creative thinking, and body energy. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you on the show. I thought it was such an important book. Can I have your attention? How to think fast, find your focus, and sharpen your concentration. It's an ill society is suffering from not only children, but so many adults in a world where everything is vying for attention. It's a brilliant book. What was your motivation behind it? You know, as the story goes, I w was actually writing another book at the time that, uh, that I began to write, Can I Have Your Attention? I was writing the book in the early hours of the morning. And one morning I came downstairs and I was making myself uh, some coffee and my daughter came downstairs dressed up like a ballerina and started pirouetting around the kitchen. I had said to her, you know, what are, you know, what are you doing? And she said, I'm dancing. I'm dancing with my heart. And I, you know, tried to explain to her that I was up early and, and, you know, trying to get some work done. And I just paused for a minute and watched her do this. And at one point I said, can I have your attention? And she said, no. <laughs> and so I thought about that for a minute. And then I thought about it a little longer on the way to work that day. And I thought, you know, she might have a point here about attention. And so I decided that day to shift what I was doing. I had been writing a, another book for the better part of a year. And I decided to shift that day and to take a look at what is attention? What is it in, in the human brain, in the mind that creates this thing that we call attention? Why do we lose it when we lose it? And how can we regain it? And so I set out to find out some of those things. You know, we live in this multi-goal world where everything's vying for our attention. And some of us are good at staying focused and some of us are not. And you teach us in the book that this can be acquired through practice and understanding. And what I love is you use the basis of so much of your learnings, which is martial arts. Yeah, you know, and I'd been studying martial arts since I was a, a teenager. There were many things in martial arts that guided my way. I, from the beginning, you know, I was learning about focus. Focus became more important to me than just a sport. I was always interested in focus anyway. But uh, when I started to apply a little science to, you know, what is this thing we call attention, I started to realize that some of the the concepts of martial arts that I didn't really understand beyond maybe the most basic philosophies, not only made sense, but were parallel to some of the most contemporary science on, you know, what attention and awareness and focus and all that is really about. It was amazing to me decades later when I applied science to some of these concepts and skills that were millennia old. And you talk about the martial arts tenet of attaining a youthful body and a hundred-year-old mind, but also the Japanese state of mind that you mentioned several times, mushin, or no mind. And I thought that just absolutely resonated with me because so many of us live in the future. And I know our brains are wired that way and the human brain is wired that way. You know, you get this across. Wouldn't it be great, like you talk about Isabella, your daughter, to live in that moment and 
remove kind of distractions from the moment and enjoy it. Absolutely. And, you know, that term actually became uh, quite popular uh, with a movie that Tom Cruise was in called The Last Samurai. In the movie, there was a, a sword fight with Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise's instructor. I think if I have this right, you know, Cruise was losing the sword fights every time he engaged in them. And of course, they were just practice sword fights. But at one point, his instructor told him, he said, too many mind, too many mind. And what he was basically suggesting is that he remove all the minds except the one that was right there in the moment. That state of mind is just a precious state of mind to make sense out of our everyday lives. And, you know, another thing about it, too, is that when we have too much going on in our mind like that, particularly multitasking or even multi-thinking, we're out of the moment. We're not performing our best, but we're also not taking away some of the goods, some of the jewels of learning that come with a moment when we, when we multitask like that. One thing that really resonated again was when you talked about martial arts and you talked about slowing down the moment. And I kind of thought of the movie The Matrix when you when you said this, where you have a choice in the moment. But what we're living in with our limbic system brain, we're so reactive. But with practice, and you give exercises in the book, we can slow down those mo moments and make a choice of how we react. It's an amazing thing. It's really an amazing uh, feeling because... Our reactions are so fast, they happen before we even have a chance to think about them. It's an amazing thing when you, when you practice slowing down and being able to give yourself that moment of choice. We'll talk about some of the exercises maybe in a little while, but you know, a lot of, audience, of our audience are business people, CEOs, etc., and you mentioned the history of this attention. It goes back to the 1890s to William James, one of the leaders in psychology in the US. And there's a brilliant quote by him, the faculty of voluntary bringing back of a wandering attention over and over again is the very root of judgment, character and will. An education which should improve this faculty would be the education par excellence. And I thought that was just a brilliant quote. And it really sums up your goal in this book. Yeah, it does. Because, because attention is connected to so many things within our lives. You know, some of the, everything that we pursue from our health to our relationships, to our, our business relationships, to our activities, our thoughts, our emotions, all of this is guided by our attention. And when we're not guiding it ourselves, when we're not trying to regulate it, or control it, it's being guided for us. And that's kind of, uh, you know, a frightening thing, you know, in a way, you know, because when things are going great for us, we don't, really don't pay much attention to why they're going great. But when all of a sudden, when something goes wrong, everybody is looking at, you know, what they did that might have caused that. So I, I think it's a, it's a two-way street also. I think that quality focus and quality attention is able to get rid of some of the things that are going on in our lives that are errors or are not giving us the quality that we want. And I also think that uh, good attention will allow us the way to repeat and also expand on the things that we're doing right. You talked about the Skinner box and the difference between a rat and a human. You build the argument that our brain is so far advanced than animals, and that's why we are what we are, but we do need to master the control of it. You know, one of the interesting things about 
humans is that we're probably uh, born with fewer tools than most of the animals in the in the animal world. We're born with fewer tools. You know, for example, um, a bee uh, has incredible complex movement. Even a fruit fly has incredible complex movement. We have to work real hard to be able to create some of the complex, say, athletic movements that that we have. We have to work at those things. But the human mind is capable of of incredible learning. And that's one of the things that differentiates us from uh, many of the animals in the animal kingdom, that we have this tremendous capacity to learn. And so we really need to be in the moment. We really need to pay attention to the idiosyncrasies of what we're doing in order to absorb the best of that learning. At this stage, we might get into a bit more how it works, the mechanics of the mind, the different types of attention. So you talk about focused attention, sustained, selective, alternating, encoding, and executive attention. It'd be great to cover those briefly. Sure. When we're focused on something, this is our ability to zero in on sensory data. So we're, you know, we're looking at a beautiful sunset and we're able to zero in on the, you know, the colorations, let's say, the shapes and so on. Sustained attention is how long we can hold it how long we can hold that concentration. Uh, we believe that, you know, you're, you're maxing out at about 10 minutes. And then we have selective attention. And selective attention is the kind of attention that we use when, let's say, we're at a party or a gathering and we're speaking to somebody and we're able to select where we're going to put our attention. So I'm able to select uh, the person I'm speaking with and kind of phase out everything that that's happening around me uh, so that I can have a conversation with this individual. We can also alternate our attention. So for example, I might be cooking something at the stove and one of my children might be reading me the recipe as I put ingredients into the kettle. And then we have executive attention, which I call attention CEO. And the executive uh, attention is what allows us to take control of the entire attentional system and regulate it uh, and be able to, for example, override our impulses. So uh, one might be able to say no to an impulse in favor of something else that might be more understated but might serve our goal a little bit better. So if I have an impulse, for example, to have a third cup of coffee on the way to work, I might be able to say no to that impulse in line of you know getting to work a little bit more on time. Um, and also in a little bit better frame of mind when I get there. You talk about some of the things we can do. So we can, can take control of this. We don't have to settle for what we have. There's so much we can do. And you, you talk about some of the basics like sleep, etc. But there's so much more we can do. And I'm not going to go into all the solutions you give in the book and in your own training practice. But could you give us a few of the things, for example, we could do to improve our attention? A lot of things that we can do are actually a lot of fun. And we also, you know, I want to say we also have a sort of an appreciation uh, for some of these activities already. Uh, Sound is a great way. And I'll give you an example of what what I think your listeners can do. Um, And this is very, very simple. One of the reasons that we lose attention is that we either don't have enough energy, our energy is too low or mellow, or our energy is too high. 
so if our energy is too high, we become anxious and jumpy, and it's hard to stay uh, concentrated. And then there's all kinds of biological things that kick in when we get jumpy that actually disorganize us. Uh, so our blood chemistry changes such that we become disorganized and it tries to bring our energy down low. It brings it down too low and we become even further inattentive. One thing that I recommend everybody do is to create two files and you can use your, your cell phones to do this with. Find a sound or a song that you know brings you up. Uh, in my business, we look at the beats per minute, uh, and you can find these online. Just type in BPM, do a Google search, and, and type in your favorite song, song's title, and it'll give you the BPM. If the BPM is over 100, that song will be able to lift your energy and also lift your attention. If the song is below 100 beats per minute, it'll start to slow you down, and in doing so, uh, it'll mellow you out. If you're too mellow during the day or for an important meeting or for whatever kind of work you're doing, you can use your favorite songs, which have a BPM of over 100, to bring your energy up, bring your attention up into a higher zone so that you'll be more focused. And if you're too jumpy, you can use mellow sounds or BPMs of under 100, and that will bring your energy down so that you find that point of balance and are able to conduct your work. Um, in the attention business, what we're looking for is we're looking for that balance right between what I call calm and alert. So for example, if I were any calmer for the task that I have at hand, let's say I'm reading a contract, if I were any calmer, any more mellow, I wouldn't be able to give it my full attention. If I were any more activated, then I wouldn't be able to give it my attention either because I'm going to be jumpy. So I want to be right in the middle of calm and alert. And sound is one great way to achieve that. That explains, like, for example, I would listen to chill out music, I'd call it, or down-tempo music, but it would have to have no lyrics because I'd find that quite distracting. Is this, is this what you're saying? Yeah. What makes it work is sound is capable of changing uh, the electrical activity in your brain. And so when brain waves, for example, are streaming at too high a velocity, a slower paced sound frequency will slow down your brain waves and get them into a more optimum zone for good attention. But, you know, the bottom line is it has to be a song that you pick yourself and, and you like a lot. The more you like the song, the better it will work. Or even if it's a natural sound like, say, streaming water, if you personally don't like it, then it won't work. Or like you say, if you're using a song with lyrics and the lyrics don't match up with a goal, they don't have to be a perfect match. But if they're sending a message that's antithetical to what you're trying to do, that won't work very well either. So you want to make sure that if it's lyrics, that the message syncs up with what you're trying to do in one way or another. Also, that you like that particular piece. There's also things that we can do to get more of a response out of our body's natural electrical activities and also out of our body's blood chemistry. When you like the piece, what's happening is you're also anticipating the parts of the song that you like a lot. And when that happens, that kicks in your body's reward 
system, and that changes your blood chemistry to something that will give you a better attention as well. You're kind of getting a, a double whammy out of that. You're training your body to change its electrical activity in a particular situation. You're also training it to change blood chemistry when you're in a particular situation. There's little tricks that we can apply to really ramp that up as well. So what I mean by that is make the effect last longer and also stronger. For example, using anticipation, anticipating the part of the song, if you're using a song that you like the best, let's say it's the chorus. So if you anticipate the chorus coming around, when it does come around, your your brain will release more of a particular neurotransmitter that's good for attention than it would if you didn't anticipate that. Another thing that you can do is while you're listening, you can close your eyes, imagine the color red. And when you do imagine the color red, you can take a deep breath, turning everything in the room that you're in red in your mind, and then taking a deep breath and breathing in the color red while you're listening to the song uh, that you like. And, and so red would give you a lift. If you're looking to calm yourself down, then you might use a more earthy color and do the same thing with that. Um, so those are a couple of things that you could do right there. Another thing that you can do is to create a mental narrative. So if you're trying to calm yourself down, you can create a, a narrative in your mind as you're listening to the tune that is a calming narrative from your memories. Or you can invent one that will work too. If you're attaching it to your memories, it will give you a, a stronger effect. If you're trying to give yourself a lift or activate your energy, then what you can do is you can create a narrative in your mind that's really exciting. So for example, I might imagine myself skiing down a mountain slope, or I might imagine myself in a high-speed race or something that gives me that kind of energy lift. What's happening is, is the more different parts of the brain that you use, the stronger the effect becomes. If the effect were being caused by a pharmaceutical, what you're doing with each part of the brain that you use, you're increasing the milligrams. When I was reading the book, I was doing a keynote over in Finland, and I had read the part of the book where you said, imagine the different colors. I used the yellow, for example, because it was going on stage. What I found was it was like a switch flicked for me. Also, I started actually some memories of the speech deeper stuff like not stuff that was used from the cue cards which are essentially the slides deeper stuff like kind of deeper knowledge was triggered from doing that process it'd be great to share that a little bit more with our audience the different colors and why that works joe yeah and while we're talking about images too that's a great point that you're making there. While we're talking about uh, color and images too, you know, the, the power of pictures is an amazing thing. Uh, for example, one of the things that I include in my new book, Body Intelligence, is very, very simple mood changer. Works almost in a millisecond. One of the things that I advise people to do is to have somebody that's close to them, somebody that they really like a lot, generally their partner or their children, make a real funny photograph for them. The goofiest face you can think of or doing anything that's really comical and slapstick. Take a picture of that and put it on your iPhone or your cell phone so it's available to you. I, I have one of these right on my screen on the, on the cell phone so that if I want to change mood immediately, the power of humor is incredible. Um, and so you're able to change your brain's electrochemical activity almost in a millisecond by looking at something like that that's kind of 
funny. Let's say you're going into an office meeting. Let's say you just had a tough phone call with somebody or you got a rough email from somebody and you have to go into a meeting and, and lose all that. A very easy way to do it is to have that picture on your iPhone or your cell phone and just go to it and let it do its magic for you. And, you know, it's so simple in a way, but we don't do it. And we can take control of our environments. And some people may not be overly enamored with their work environment or their cubicle or whatever they work. But they control it with these little tips that you give throughout the book. We might stay with the workplace for a moment, Joe, because there's a couple of things that really resonated and I thought would be very helpful for our audience. One of them is what you call the attentional blink. And it'd be great to tell our audience about that. How do you think that plays out in the workspace? I thought, for example, somebody's presenting and, you know, you talk about this moment where they're trying to remember a detail like somebody's name or the name of a book or a study that might have been mentioned and they lose attention. And then that losing of attention distracts them further and it almost destroys their entire speech or presentation, whatever it may be. Well, one of the things that happens in a situation like that is we become anxious and when we become anxious, the interesting thing is, is that, that our bodies try to help us out. And the way that they try to help us out is by changing our blood chemistry so that it starts to work to mellow us out. And so really, uh, it's working to bring us down. And in doing so, it brings us down uh, usually too far. And as our energy is going down too far um, because our blood chemistry is changing, uh, we become more and more disorganized in the moment. And so for some people, uh, and really all of us can fall into this downward cycle, the first thing to try to do is step back and tell yourself, look, it's going to be okay. You know, I can do this. Um, not to uh, allow themselves to go into that downward spiral because otherwise if that occurs the body again which is which, which thinks it's trying to help us will continue to bring us down to the point where we're disorganized and then further down to where we can't focus because you really need a certain amount of energy uh, to stay focused if you step back and pause and tell yourself uh, look, I can do this. Here's what's happening. You know, my body's trying to calm me down. That's a good thing. Uh, and then, you know, accept that um, and then accept, uh, you know, the fact that that not only have you, you you calm down enough when that when that occurs, but accept that you can you can deal with it and, 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 and search your memory to know that in your memory, uh, you've you've got the information that you need um, and you can uh, carry on. You talk about the fact that 11 million bits of data are flowing through our brain per second, but we only can handle 40. So we shift attention like a conductor of an orchestra, and that, that's how we actually manage the information. But what I thought this was brilliant for, and to be able to master this, was stuff like bias. So bias is a huge problem with both decision-making, critical thinking, and also if you're hiring. And... You talk about first impressions being made in 600,000th of a second. People categorize the data very quickly and they make a judgment. There's ways we can rewire our brain. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that with our audience. 
Oh, absolutely. And and even that's related to that blink moment that we were just talking about, that 11 uh, million bits of data that, that that's streaming through our brains per second uh, is a huge number. And, and so what we really need to do is to, is to put our concentration, put our focus where we want it, as in that blink moment. Uh, but in my thinking, at first, uh, you're thinking 11 million bits of data is, is huge compared to the 40 that we're capable of paying attention to. And the funny part about that is, is that that's 40 when we're, when we're maxed out and nobody's maxed out for very long. So really we're paying attention to even fewer than 40 bits of information, but to give, to give your listeners an idea of what 40 bits of information might sound like, it would be something like February, March, April. By the time I've said February, March, April, you've already used up your 40 bits uh, so that's about all we can we can really put our attention on per second. But if you add that up over a lifetime, that's a lot of data that we can control. In a way, that's a very significant, these moments, these 40-bit moments are really significant moments in our lives because they're the moments that can create the full canvas of our lives. And so we need to pay attention to those moments. And I think that all of what we've talked about up to this point facilitates our ability to pay attention to those moments. For example, I think we started the conversation early on talking about empty mind, beginner's mind. We talked about using sound to calm the mind if, if calming is what we need, or sound to activate the mind if activation is what we need. We talked about memories and all these things that we've talked about are what are able to put us in that state of balance that we need to be able to pay quality attention. And Joe, I love this one. You talk about if we can prevent the discrepancies between what we say and what we think, and you give the example of the general election polls and brain scanning, it'd be great to share that and then look a little bit at the solutions as well. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. I enjoy I enjoy those stories, those, those aspects uh, within the book. Uh, you know, we we say one thing and and we may mean something entirely else. I'm, one of the great studies that was done here in the States was on the elections uh, several years back. They have these every year. They have polls, and you probably see them. People are interviewed, and, and polls are created. A researcher that I know had done a, a in-depth study that, that actually involved brain imaging to see whether or not what people were saying in the polls was actually true. And, and we find out that, that oftentimes it isn't. People say things they don't mean. People say things that they don't believe. And depending on how the environment around them is really controlling them. And, you know, they, they probably don't even realize that they're being controlled by the environment around them, that the environment is even controlling their speech. But it does. There was a research done that I thought was really amazing. Um, it was a research that involved a briefcase and an expensive pen. And these were given to uh, business people to see how they would react with those items in a room while they were talking about other things, essentially. And if you asked any of the people in the room, do you think 
that your speech patterns, do you think that your behavior in any way whatsoever was determined by the items that were around you in that room, i.e. the the briefcase and the, the expensive pens? But everybody in the group unanimously said our behavior couldn't possibly be guided by something like that. And in fact, it was. <laughs> and when they were debriefed uh, by the experiment, they all saw, yes, in fact, their behavior was guided and their speech was guided by those particular items. So it's an amazing thing to see how the mind and the attention of the mind can be, can be taken and steered by our environment and everything about it, the people in it, uh, the objects in it, the sounds in it, etc. So I think that, you know, some of these things that we've been talking about uh, that, that help us step back, take a look, slow down, give us more choice, will help us pick and choose from those 40 bits of information we can pay attention to, the ones that will be most uh, helpful in our activities. That point you just made is so important. Like in this age, where authenticity and critical thinking and effectiveness of thought are vital skills in the world today. Retaining ownership of your own mind and not being influenced or not being biased by data or news or where people are positioning expensive items in a room to make us feel more likely to sign a contract. Those things, being able to stand aside from those and make decisions that are purely your own decision is a key skill. This is why I think this book is so, so important. But also, Joe, we've talked about the business cases here. The next one is vitally, vitally important. We've all been in those moments where we come home, had a tough day at work, our kids are in the kitchen, the food is on, and our partner's there, and we dump our keys on the the countertop and we unleash on what a bad day we had or whatever and you talk about being in that moment and actually freeze framing in a split second and make a different decision yeah i think that one of the things that helps us do this is very very simple and i think that everyone uh, can start by paying attention to the way that we're paying attention it gives us all kinds of clues about things that facilitate us and things that literally steal our attention away from where we would really rather be. So if you're paying attention to things throughout the day, at least in the important moments of the day, you can see that life starts to slow down for you. You see that when you throw keys on a kitchen counter or on a table, that activity, you start to be able to walk it forward and see what's going to happen next. You're able to see the pattern because we really operate attentionally in patterns and you start to see the patterns. When you see a pattern like that, you can catch it before you're in that place that you don't want to be. It doesn't matter what it is to catch it in what we might call the almost phase. Like I'm almost angry. I'm almost depressed. I'm almost jumpy. So what we're looking for when we pay attention to the way we pay attention, we're looking for those patterns like tossing keys onto a table that are indicators of what's going to be coming next, maybe two or three steps ahead. And once we get used to identifying those indicators, we can really stop those moments from controlling us. Joe, we've talked pretty much about the workplace, and we've looked at it through the lens of an adult. 
children are facing so many things vying for their attention, screens, you know, social media, et cetera, et cetera. What can we do for our children or how can we make it easy for them and how can they make it easier for themselves? First, I think that our children need to get good sleep um, and develop good sleeping habits. I put that very high on the list because sleep affects our higher level reasoning. And so uh, they're going to need to get good sleep and develop good sleep habits. One of the things that I used with my youngest daughter, Veronica, when she was three years old, we live in an area here that's it's called the Berkshire Mountains. And so we would drive down the mountains and there's a river in between where I live and the state of Massachusetts. And I taught her how to meditate there step by step, very simple, you know, using deep breathing, trying to get in touch with herself, just calm herself down. And and I taught her how to meditate along the Green River. And eventually I had her taking pictures of the landscapes and the the trees, the flowers, the grasses, the rocks, and so on. And now she was able to make a recording of the water sounds of the river and also the imagery. She uses that not only to calm herself down, but she uses that to get to sleep at night. And she can get to sleep very, very quickly within minutes of when she wants to go to sleep and get herself a good night's sleep and a calm, relaxed mindset at will just by pushing a button, having her imagery and having her slideshow with a soundtrack in the background of water sounds. And that's able to calm her down now and will work for her probably into the long future. So that was kind of like, I call that a gift of energy that we can give our our children. We can give them a sense of calm by doing things like that and helping them create their own tools using sound and imagery and some of the techniques that we talked about in other aspects of the show today. It's interesting that one, Joe, because when you think about it, we, we do that when they're younger children. We read them stories at nighttime we set the stage for sleep, but then it all disappears. It's that saying, isn't it, where you can teach a man to fish or you can fish for them, and it's better off to actually give them the skills themselves. Yeah, this aspect of using sound with images, it can be traced back into some of the experiences of the mother because the same sounds and images that affected mom will also affect the children in the same way that a pharmaceutical that affects mom in a positive way uh, might affect the children in a positive way. And a pharmaceutical that mom might have had a hard time with may very well be difficult for the child. So this is a great way to bond. Children can ask their parents what sounds calm them down, uh, what sounds excited them. One final thing, and you talk about this in depth, and you know, you give, you have hard scientific proof that meditation helps us. It'd be great to get your word. You've done this from a Zen perspective, Zen breathing, etc., to give your knowledge, impart your knowledge on how important this is. Meditation is a tremendous mechanism that we as as humans have been gifted with, and there's just so much uh, that we can do, and, and it's been documented and researched over and over again that 
we can achieve so much with meditation. One of the things that we can achieve, everybody knows, that we can use meditation to calm ourselves down. But there's other things that we can do with meditation. You know, earlier on, we were talking about if you're really concentrated, you're only going to go 10 minutes with that full concentration. If you let yourself go 20 minutes, if you push the pedal to the metal, as we say, and you apply a few minutes, just just a few minutes of meditation in between activities, say every 20 minutes, every half hour, that'll allow you to restore not only your sense of balance, but it'll help you uh, restore your higher level thinking. But meditation also affects our health because when we're in a state of meditation, it's able to not only affect our brain waves, it's able to affect our blood chemistry, it's able to put us in touch with memories, it's able to put us in touch with emotions that are all good for us. And once we identify those, once we tap into them, not only can we carry them with us uh, further uh, into the day, in the evening, um, allowing ourselves to wake up better, get better sleep, not only can we do that, we can remember those places as well. We, we're creating, creating a memory of the meditations themselves, and therefore we can start to use them as triggers very quickly. So I don't need to do a lengthy meditation. You know, some of the people that I know like to to meditate for no less than a half hour. Some individuals that I know like to practice even longer than that. The beauty of whatever length meditation that that you do, the beauty of it is, is that once you put yourself in touch with it, once you really pay attention to everything that you're feeling, all the different layers that you're able to have feelings within that meditation, once you've done that, you can create a memory and you're able to use that memory, say, five minutes before you're going into an office meeting. Because you become familiar with a place and you can call it up in your memory quickly and you can allow it to affect you quickly. So you no longer need to do it for a half hour or for 45 minutes because you've, you've familiarized yourself with the, with the feeling. Uh, you've familiar, familiarized yourself with the change of mind and the change of your own physicality and you're able then through through a habit. By creating that habit, you're able to trigger it in your mind almost instantly for office meetings, for phone calls, and so on. Athletes know this. Athletes are able to put themselves in a frame of mind that they want that's optimum for what they're trying to do in an instant and phase everything else out. And meditation helps us get there, get in touch uh, with ourselves at such a deep level that we're able to do that. Just to be clear, for even for myself here, that doesn't have to be situational or environmental. Like, so for example, you may be going into a big meeting with a client, etc. It's just the practice of having it in your repertoire that you call upon that memory. It's like almost like the groove and the record gets deeper and deeper and you're able to pull it easily to your instant memory. Yeah, and, and there's some very good science too these days. I really liked what you said, Aiden, when you were talking about making the groove deeper and deeper. There's some very good science today that would indicate that the deeper we try to experience the different situations that we're in, meditation being one, the deeper that we're able to experience 
those situations with our presence and drill it in deeper, then the more lit our mind becomes. Uh, You can imagine the circuits that are firing that create our feelings about that situation also create our awareness and our presence. And so the deeper we go into our experiences, the more presence we have. What I felt, and you say this at the end of the book, and I'm going to call it out here, if we can understand what goes on in our heads, the more purposeful, authentic, and happy our lives can be. And as you say, we have a choice in our destiny. We can make the most of the present, and we're wired to participate in what happens to us and for us. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Where can people find out more about your work and your books, Joe? Well, um, people can find out more about myself and my books by going to www.josephcardillo.com. Dr. Joseph Cardillo, author of Can I Have Your Attention? Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Aiden.